morning and welcome. Let's stand as we get started. Sing this together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.
morning, Grace. My name is Melissa Eckel. I'm the director of women's ministry here, and thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I am so excited to announce the date for the women's retreat. It will be on the weekend of April 30th through May 2nd. We'll have an in-person option at Camp Tejas and a virtual option so you can retreat at home if you're more comfortable with that. For details and registration, you can visit our website at grace360.org. One quick housekeeping um, item, if you could please leave your masks on during the service and while you're inside the buildings at Grace, we would really appreciate that. Today, we're going to get an update on how Grace has been helping our city during this time. And then Pastor Matt is going to teach us on Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This is a very timely chapter about when people in power are corrupt and appear to be getting away with it. Um, so if you'll please just stay standing and we'll continue to sing together in worship. Thanks. Worship the Lord of creation together as the giver of life, giver of love, as the very breath in our lungs. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Shout your praise, our hearts 
There's a song in my soul And I feel it stirring in me This I know for sure That your love is like a flood And your mercy never ending I give my song to you There's a joy in my soul And it rises like the Your grace is enough, and your promise never breaking. I give my song to you. All of your goodness is like a well running over, and all my soul it sings for you. For all of your goodness, I will love you forever. There's a hope in my heart Burning bright in the darkness And this I know for sure That I will look upon your face Forever dwell in your presence And always sing to you 
sing this one together. We're going to sing it out. It's called Sing Wherever I Go. All my life, all I know, we sing his praises.
Amen. Amen. You should pray with me. God, you are good. You are so good. And we sing these praises to you, God. We call upon your name this morning. In celebration of you, God, and your glory, we will sing your name forever, forevermore, God. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and sing together and worship you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Grace. My name is Jeremiah Ebling, and I'm the Family Life Pastor here. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we're so glad to be with you today. I want to let you know that Reengage, our marriage discipleship ministry, will begin meeting in person again on our Grace campus on Monday, March 29th. Whether your marriage is thriving or in the midst of a difficult season, join us on Mondays at 7 p.m. for small groups, biblical teaching, and testimonies of hope. Please visit grace360.org forward slash reengage for more information. Easter is just around the corner on April 4th. We'll be sharing more details soon, but we wanted to give you a heads up on a couple important things. We're asking everyone to pre-register online for either the 9.15 or 11 o'clock service. We wanna ensure we have room for everyone and are able to maintain a safe environment. We're also offering Grace Kids at both services on Easter. Please go online starting this Wednesday and register your whole family for Easter Sunday at Grace. Finally, students in seventh through 12th grade are invited to our annual youth retreat on April 9th through 11th. This will be a weekend filled with excellent teaching, powerful worship, and biblical truth presented in a unique way. It's a great time for students to build close relationships with friends and leaders and to become more like Christ in all of life. You can find information about all the ministries and events at Grace on our website at grace360.org. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Hey, good morning, Grace. Hey, I want to tell you about some fun things that we're doing as a church. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the power of wealth, the power of wealth that it could subdue you. But if you can conquer wealth and put it in its cage and be generous, you can do fun stuff. And I want to just show you some things that we've been doing. Last year, uh, we gave $160,000 to local ministries that had been needing a special assistance because of the COVID crisis. And... This year, we've two months in, I want to give you an update on what we've been doing. First, and obvious, most obvious to you if you're here on campus, is uh, Samaritan's Purse has joined us, and we're helping with their resources, and they're helping our city. We're helping them back. We'll get an update from them hopefully next week on some of the details of what's been up and how things have been going. Uh, what some of the, the ways we've been giving to organizations around the city, for example, ADRN, this week we just gave them $15,000 because of the many ministries that they're doing throughout the city. They're serving uh, our community in ways that we can't. Many of you are volunteering at ADRN. Also, the Texas, uh, Central Texas Food Bank, we gave them $10,000 this week. Why this week? Because this week was Amplified Austin, and so both of those gifts were doubled. So we ended up actually 10 or 30 and, and $20,000. We gave $10,000 to Mission Possible. Uh, they have a food bank that needed to be replenished and had damage done uh, to the ministry. That was a ministry we started in East Austin to help uh, the people over there. Uh, CARES Fund, I want to tell you a little bit about that. CARES Fund is a beautiful organization 
that looks at helping churches in East Austin don't, don't have the financial resources that churches like we have, we, the resources that we have. And so it provides for them for sometimes uh, paying salaries or helping the congregants there or helping with uh, uh, some of the facilities that might have been damaged. We gave uh, $5,000 to Great Hills Baptist Church. They had devastating damage to their education building. Some of you have your children attending, and that's where they're doing it, so they needed some extra help. Cops for Charities was a $10,000 gift to help pay uh, the hotel bills for many of the first responders in those first two nights weren't able to go home. And so I, I called back that organization. They're almost completely paid up. That's a fun story. And last, Mosaic, we gave $5,000 to Mosaic. They have a ministry that specializes in serving and caring for the homeless in the Northwest Austin area. And during the snowstorm, they needed special help. And so we provided for them. So I, I said that all in one breath, kind of <laughs> a little bit overwhelming, but I just want to tell you guys, thank you so much for your generosity. It gives us the ability to be con- you know, corporately generous to all these ministries and people around the city of Austin. So for the person next to you that's such a generous giver, could you give them a round of applause? Let me pray and thank God for um, the way we were able to use these resources. Lord, we are grateful that you have given us and given to us and, you know, You've blessed us, so we're to be a blessing to other people. That's just the way we're made, and it gives you honor. So, Lord, I'd ask that every dollar would be spent in ways that, that show dignity to every man, woman, and child that is experiencing a need for that, that the men and women that uh, take these resources see it as a stewardship and directly responsible to you, and they would serve you as they serve the city and serve others. Lord, I'd ask that you would continue to bless us, bless us indeed, that we would, might be able to show the love of Christ and, and the voice of God as we bring ministry into people's lives. Thank you. Lord, I'd ask that you'd help open our eyes and our minds today as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and how we should then live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I, I know I've been caught. You'd you found me out. I'm using a lot of music as illustrations or actually just like bylines in sneaking it into sermons. And the reason is, is because uh, Confucius said that the, you can tell the, the condition of the cultural soul by listening to the music that the people are listening to. P- uh, Dr. Peter Kraft at Boston College said, the modern prophets of the day are songwriters. And so when you look, if you listen to songs written in, in the days, you can see that John Mayer says there's something missing. Kansas says we're dust in the wind. Rolling Stones, they get no satisfaction. David Wilcox, that's what the lonely's for. Sting, he's lost his faith in, in everything. The Eagles, all of their songs. Okay, let's just, and so I thought for fun, I, there, is, there is one of these songs that's wondering, you know, what's going on here and how do we make sense of it, and that's you too. And Bono said, he, what I loved about his song is he added closure to it. His last verse is about the cross and the king on that cross. And so just for fun and to show off how good our guys are, I want us to hear you too. I'm something I'm missing Right? And I want you to hum along if you want. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
guys thank you cross to my shame he made sense out of it somehow my sophomore year at the University of Texas I pledged a fraternity and in a short conversation I I changed my life crazy I know it doesn't make sense to me either but I'll tell you the story so you spend your whole first semester as a pledge, just being a pledge, and then when you get back to second semester, you kind of get things going again. And the last week as a pledge, 
before you become an active uh, is called Hell Week. And then, then you get to be an active. And so first, uh, let me explain Hell Week uh, by apologizing those in the military that have experienced Hell Week. It's nothing like that. It's more like a pretty good day in purgatory. So it's, it's not that bad. It's a week of inconvenience, mostly. There were a lot of, uh, there were, okay, there was sleep and food deprivation. The first 48 hours we couldn't sleep at all and stuff, there was nothing really edible for those, those two days. And then they did weird mind game things. They made us listen to this song, this nasty disco song, Ring My Bell, 24 hours a day for seven days at 85 decibels. They, they called us a name. They, according to our hellmaster, we were lower than the belly of his puppy, Sam. And we were all now named Sam collectively. We didn't have individual identities. We had to wear a dog collar because Sam wore a dog collar. And um, it, it just, to, okay, I said hellmaster. It sounds like, like an evil villain. He was a pre-med school student named Tom. So, again, wasn't that bad? Uh, and and the, there was this list, this, this like this oh no list. There was this butcher paper on the side of the wall. And if you did something even mildly offensive to any one of the actives, they put your name on the oh no list. And then at night, you paid, you paid a lot. And so, I mean, it usually started with a 30, 40 gallon drum of ice, a little bit of water, but mostly ice. And you stood in that bucket, you know, at attention for as long as necessary. I know, like I said, <laughs> it, it was more like purgatory. It's like it wasn't that bad. I know some of you guys have had harder spring breaks. I've seen pictures. Uh, but the first 48 hours for me were really difficult. And maybe I was just hungry because I hadn't eaten. But, oh, yeah, and I hadn't slept. But you could see it on my face. I was angry. I mean grinding your teeth angry. And this is when the conversation that changed my life happened. I remember vividly. I was on the back stairwell outside, and Charles came over to me, and he said, Matt, is Hell Week getting you down? And, I, and I'm looking at him like, well, yeah. Uh, uh, he said, what did you expect? We, we call it Hell Week. It's not fair. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's humiliating. And I said, well, here's the thing that bothers me. The guys that are picking on me and giving me the most grief, you and I both know they were the biggest babies when they were pledges, and now they're bullying me because there's no consequence. I can't do anything back to them. And he said, you are a huge disappointment to me. I just thought you could rise above this. Somebody needs to go downstairs and lead these pledges out of this. And you can do that, but you'd rather be angry. You're focusing on the injustice, and you could be leading. And I said, yeah. So I went downstairs, and I talked with a good friend of mine. His name is Bill. And we kind of realized that, you know what? We can't change anything that's going to happen to us, but we can kind of change the way we responded to it. And we just thought, you know what? Let's just change the way everything works now. And you could see it on our face. Our faces were brightened. In other words, if you're going to go to purgatory for a week, you can eat, drink, and be merry. So day three finally rolls around. It's our first real meal, and we have this plate of beans. And you have to eat beans in 60 seconds because whatever you don't eat, they pour down the bib of your overalls, and you wear, those, you wear that, the clothes all week long. 
So they set the timer and off we go. I'm 45 seconds in. I'm done eating beans. Never liked them in the first place, even after two days of fasting. I looked at Bill. Bill was done too. And so we just loaded up our hands with the leftover beans. And when they snapped us into attention, those beans went flying. <laughs> you know, if I was going to wear beans, so was everyone else. They never served beans again that week. They were, had us as, a, as a, the, the kind of the big project for the week was we had to panel the entire downstairs uh, uh, walls. And, and every once in a while, they had this humiliating, stupid hat that someone would have to wear. And I got a little bit tired of that hat, and it was late at night. And so I said, Bill, let's make this right. And so we broke into the president's office who uh, lived on the first floor in the house, and he had a hat. It was his only hat, the hat that he loved. And while we were paneling the walls, we buried that stupid, humiliating hat in the wall, and we buried Beezer's hat in the wall. And when Beezer came out the next morning and said, where's my hat? We just said, it's in the walls. Some of you don't believe me. Forty years later, my son and I, they're tearing down our fraternity house, and we found that hat. There it is right there. Still don't believe me? There's the hat. <laughs> Still have the hat. Yep. Well, I ended up being on the oh-no list that night, as you would imagine. And uh, one of my pledge brothers is standing in his 40-gallon thing of ice and water, and his teeth are chatter, clattering, and he's starting to cry. And then it was my turn to come up. And then right before I get in, Bill raises his hand and says, and the, uh, the hellmaster said, what, Bill? He goes, how come I'm never on the oh-no list? Matt's on the oh-no list. I did the same thing Matt did. And they're like, wait, what? You want to be on this list? And then I said to the hellmaster, I am not Matt. I'm not Sam. I'm Jacques Cousteau. And I don't go into frigid waters uh, feet first. I dive in. And I dove into the bucket. <laughs> and then I came up two minutes later, and I said, I think I found something. And I dove back in a second time. And I came back up, and I dove in a third time. And on the third time, I intentionally knocked over my bucket and the poor guy that was next to me that was crying. And 90 gallons of ice water went out throughout the fraternity house. We never did ice buckets again after that. <laughs> Bill looked at me, and I looked at him the next day, and we got sick and tired of ring my bell. So whenever the, when the actors were leaving for class that day, we went to that cassette player and took the cassette out, went out to the Hellmaster's car and tied the slack of the tape to his trailer hitch. And as he drove away, it just went <laughs> And later on, the Hellmaster said, what happened to that tape of Ring My Bell? I said, I don't know. Last time I saw it, you were driving off with it. <laughs> it was a rough day for everybody, I think. By the last day or so, around the last day, there was that oh no list, and it had about 17 names on it, and some of our younger pledges were very afraid. And so Bill looked at me, and I looked at him and said, let's just steal the list and burn it. And so we did. And that night, there was only two names on that list. <laughs> There's a lot more stories to this, but I think you get the point, okay? What if, what if... Life is purgatory. What if life isn't supposed to make sense? What if life isn't even fair? Hmm. What if life were to make us stronger? What if the experiences that we have are really part of a gym membership and not a spa membership? Then maybe we could 
enjoy the cold plunge? Yeah. Let me put it another way. If, and this is the part that changed my life, that conversation. Like, if life has to make sense for you to live and thrive, then why do you need faith? Because the purpose of faith is to believe in something that doesn't make sense. You don't, you don't pull out your faith when everything's working. You pull out your faith when nothing's working. The purpose of faith is to help you through the times of life that seem chaotic, that don't make sense, that are not fair. <laughs> and so the faith is the conviction of things not seen, like God is loving. It doesn't look like God is loving. That's where your faith is coming in. It is the assurance of things, of, 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 of things that you hope for, like God's in control. Doesn't look like God's in control. This is a good time to use that faith. If God's in control all the time and it looks that way and God's, and everything's good and rosy, then you don't need faith. And that's what's beautiful about the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, comes along and says, you know what? Faith, living, it ain't easy. I got some serious questions about how to live life and then how to apply my faith to it. There it is. That's the point. And here's the key. Chapter 8, verse 1. He says, who is like the wise? And who, who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their faith and changes their, its hard appearance. Here's a, another way of saying it. Better. It's a New Living Translation. How wonderful it is to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face and strengthens and, and softens their hardness softens their hardness. He asked a couple questions in the first part. Isn't it great to, like, who's the, who's the, you know, who, what's it like to be wise? What's it like to have the ability to sort things out? And one of the things, one of his purposes is, is saying this is, like, the wise understand that their wise, wisdom has a limit. The wise man knows he can't know all things. And then when you're, and then the second part of the verse is, once you're free of that, of having to know all things, then It'll brighten your face. It, your, your, light, your face will light up. I mean, this is classic. Socrates stole this later on. Uh, the Oracle of Adelphi says, Socrates is the wisest man that exists in, in, in Greece. And they asked Socrates, and he figured out why. He says, well, I know I don't know. Everybody else thinks they know the answer. I know I don't know the answer. That's why I'm the wisest man. In other words, stay in your lane, thinking Reed. Know your lot dirt <laughs> right it's like god's big plan is above our pay grade and once we release that our face will shine we'll start to enjoy things we we can't know some things but the theme of chapter 8 of ecclesiastes is we can know this that you never go wrong in doing right when times are hard be good when leadership is rotten be righteous that's what Ecclesiastes 8 says. You can't change a lot of things, but you can change this. Look at what it says in 2 through 4. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your, do don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil, for the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Verse 5. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. There is a time and there is a way for everything, even when the person is in trouble. 
There's so much here. First of all, it says obey the king because you vowed to do so. Just to be clear, in the Bible, according to the Bible, there are three offices that God has instituted to contain man, to deal with the problem of evil. Okay, the, the first one is the family, so that mom and dad can raise these little demons and turn them into civilized human beings. The second is the government. Genesis chapter 9, uh, God gives the power of the government. If you take a man's life, the government has a, the ability or the power or the authority to take your life. And the third institution that he brings into effect for our, for our like, soul's sake is the church. Those three things, they're not like other things. They're a whole different kind of thing. So they're set apart for a purpose. They are sacred. They are part of God's prescriptive will. And we can read this that we swore an oath to a king. It means that every government, all government, is under the authority of God. And we find ourselves under the authority of God by doing what it says here. All it is, these are not, he's saying you've got, uh, don't avoid doing your duty, pay your taxes. But even better here, he says, don't stand in the plot of evil. Don't get involved in a coup. Don't find yourself there. People, in, people that involve themselves in overthrowing a government are saying, look, God, if you're not going to do this, I will. If, you're not, if you can't see what's happening around here, the injustice and those, you know, I'll do this. But look at the saints in the Bible. There's not a single saint, Old or New Testament, that talks about overthrowing the government because God appoints the government. David is under Saul. I, we don't have time to tell the individual stories, look them up, but Saul is a crazy king that wants to kill David. Two times David has a chance to kill Saul and overthrow that king and become the king. He doesn't. Daniel serves four crazy kings and could kill any one of them in their sleep because they all trusted him. He doesn't. Jesus, Peter, Paul, all give honor to Roman soldiers. And the reason is, is they're all part of God's divine plan to rule. And so we are to respect them. We're to pay our honor to them, no matter how corrupt. How do you live with that? He says in verse 5, those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. There's always a time and a way to do everything. Famous story of Esther. Everybody loves the story of Esther. There's this story that's going on along with that. Mordecai, her, Mordecai is her uncle. Mordecai is, is raised this child because she's an orphan. And the king steals Mordecai's daughter slash niece. And then he, Mordecai overhears a plot to overthrow the king that stole his daughter. All he has to do, again, this is just passive submission. All he has to do is just be quiet. If he just sleeps in, it's all going to take place. But Mordecai understands that even that crazy king was appointed by God for some reason that he didn't have to understand. And so Mordecai turns them in and saves the king's life, the king that stole his niece slash daughter, because he understood that. There's, oh, he can always find a way of doing that. So you won't find in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those men served crazy kings, and they submitted to them. And because they didn't try to figure it all out, and they were just going to take their ice plunge heads first, their faces radiated brilliance. 
You can never go wrong in doing right. When things are bad, do good. When you have corrupt leaders, be righteous. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 7 and 8. Trust this, that since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? No one has the power over the wind to contain it, so, so no one has the power over the time of their own death. No one, as, as no one is discharged in the time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Look, look at verse 7. We don't know the future. We don't know what tomorrow is. So we can, like, why do we act like we know how this is going to end? Remember? <laughs> I love this one. Since we know, no one knows the future. You know what today is? Happy anniversary. This is the one-year anniversary of the last time we knew what we were doing. Okay? It was this Sunday last year that we planned ahead and had two services going and thousands of people were on our campus. And then that week we made some plans and they didn't work. And then we made some other plans and then we had contingent plans in case those plans didn't work. Flush them all. Now, we just do our very best and hold that very loosely. Right? Isn't that the way everybody's living now? We're going to do our best and hold it very loosely. That's what he's saying. We don't know what's going on. And so he just says, yeah, just, just do that. He just says, look, it's it's never wrong to do right. And the second part of what he's saying here is he's kind of laughing at the powerful leaders. Can any of them, like, harness the wind? Can any of them tell which way the wind is going to blow? In other words, do they have no power over nature? Do you have any battles and literally wars have been won or lost due to weather? (laughs) Because the people in control are not in control. And what he's referring to is every king, every commander, every, you know, president, every governor, they can't, they can't do anything about the day of their death. When God says it's time, it's time. There's a beautiful, fun, kind of fun story because it's a bad guy and you can watch it all happen. But in 1 Kings chapters 19 to 22, there's a wicked king, Ahab, okay? And he thinks he's in control. And Elijah is sent by God and he just says, Ahab, you're done. And I got to tell you, I mean, dogs are going to lick up your blood in the very place you shed innocent blood. So there. And so Ahab is going to go to war, and he thinks, you know what? I don't care what God says. I'm going to dress up as a regular soldier, and I'm going to be pretending like I'm just one of the guys, and just we'll see what happens because I'll decide the day I die. Here's a sentence literally out of the Bible. Look how nondescript it is. And this is during the, the, the war. And then a certain man... Didn't name his name. Then a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king between his scale armor and his breastplate. <laughs> right between the breastplate and the, and the, and the uh, male there. And guess what happened? He bled out in the chariot. Guess where the chariot ended up? Being licked up by dogs. Really, Ahab? Faith is waiting. Chuck Swindoll says, God invented time and man created watches. You know what time it is, God? It's, this, is when, this is when you step in and get all my things worked out. You see what's going on around us? Faith is waiting. Faith is waiting because it doesn't sometimes look like God is in control. And now I have the assurance that he is. 
Faith is the conviction that he is loving, even though I look around and it doesn't look like a loving God is in charge. All the while, verse 10, <laughs> I have seen wicked people buried with honor, and, and yet they, were, they are the very ones who frequent in the temple, pretended to be religious, and are now praised in the same city where they committed the crimes. <laughs> this too is meaningless to me. When, the crime is not, when crime is not punished quickly, then people feel safe to do wrong. Look at verse 10. People that are corrupt, they are honored in the very city where they do their corruption. You don't have to leave the capital of Texas to see that, like, the bigger the bully you are, the higher the office, the more corrupt you have lived your life, then let's name a, I don't know, a school and a town and a lake after him. Why? Because that's just the way it is. And so he says here, like, look, you be careful because if you're slow to justice, it causes bad people to be encouraged. <laughs> Is that hard to believe? I don't know. You attack a bunch of precincts and then try to burn down some federal buildings. After months, you think, well, why don't we take on the capital <laughs> of the whole United States? Do you know how that happens? Because justice delayed gives courage to evildoers. How are we supposed to live in this madness? Solomon says, I got a way. What? Hell week getting you down? Look what he says, verse 12. This is, a, this is a great verse. You can memorize this one. Even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. That's a statement of faith. He's got a hundred sins. It's a figure of speech. That guy sins all he wants, and he's going to live a long life. But you know what I know by faith? Not afterlife. There's justice after that. You'll never go wrong in doing right. When times are bad, be good. You have a, a leader that's wicked, then just be righteous. Righteous, thank you so much. Like the whole, again, the, you see this in hindsight. The biggest, longest story in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, is not about Abraham, it's about Joseph. And what's Joseph's story? He's a good guy, and so he suffers. And so he, exceeds, he excels, and then he suffers again, injustice. And so he's doing a good thing, and so he excels, and then he suffers again. And then he excels because of his righteousness, and then he saves millions of lives and the plan of God, all because he never stopped and said, this isn't fair. There, this doesn't make sense. He just knew this. It's never wrong to do what is right. When there's evil in the government, just be righteous. Look at verse 13. The wicked will prosper, for they do not fear. The, the, the wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long, like the evening shadows. The wicked will not prosper. There's um, a word. Tommy Nelson, when he teaches on this passage, he says there's a word that we need to know. The word that defines this type of character, Joseph and Daniel, and these men and women of God, is the word poise. And before I define the word, I want to tell you a story that defines the word. Story is the punchline to a sermon that Charles Stanley heard. Now, 
I, I think most of you probably don't know who Charles Stanley is. Charles Stanley is or was the senior pastor of First Baptist Atlanta. That's a huge church. First Baptist Atlanta. It was there for 51 years. You not, might have heard of his son, Andy Stanley. So anyway, when Charles Stanley took over First Baptist Atlanta, it wasn't a particularly big church. And then when he started teaching there, it started growing a lot. And that threatened the leadership. And they were having kind of a war going on. And, and just to understand the context of the sermon that Charles Stanley heard, it was so bad that one, so this is a televised church, kind of a big deal, Atlanta, right? First Baptist Atlanta. It's a televised church. And, and one of the guys, the, the frustration between the leadership or some of the people on the deacon board and Charles Stanley kind of, kind of came to a climax on a Sunday morning during televised worship. The deacon's job was to come and pray for the sermon before Charles comes up to preach. And so Charles is sitting in a chair right here. Deacon comes up to pray, and he looks at Charles and just turns his back on the camera and everyone else and starts yelling at the pastor, Charles Stanley, and then just rolls up and clocks him, hits him right in the face in front of, like, America and Charles Stanley's family. So I don't know how... How's, going at work for you. But that's a bad day at the office for me. <laughs> so it is in the context of getting punched on the stage in front of his whole congregation by one of his deacons that an older woman calls him up and says, I want you to come over for lunch. I have a sermon for you. And Charles like, you know, I got to let my eye kind of go back to swell. Don't, you need to come. I've been at the church for a long time. I'm going to make you a special lunch. I need to preach a sermon to you. And so Charles goes over there, has a nice lunch, and then she finally just walks him over and puts him in front of this picture. And this is the picture. And she says, Charles, what do you see? Pastor Stanley, what do you see? He says, I, I know the photo or the painting. It's rather famous. It, this is Daniel in the lion's den. Uh-huh. Pastor Stanley, what do you see? And he says, I, I see Daniel and I see the lions. There are seven lions. Yes, and what else? I see bones. They're eaten all the way. There's no meat on them. And, that, and so that, that's what I see. And she said, so she puts his, her arms around him and says, Pastor Stanley, here's what I want you to see. That Daniel doesn't see the lions. All he sees is his awesome sovereign God. That's all he was looking at. And Charles was like, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. I can look at all the riffraff and mayhem that's going around me at my church and be afraid. Or I can look at the sovereignty of God and his goodness. It was Charles' lot to be in that church. It was Charles' choice to focus on the goodness of God. That picture of Daniel, that's poise. Poise means to freeze. It means to stand at attention. It means to, independent of circumstances, hold your ground. Daniel's lot that, lot, that night was to spend the night with lions. His choice was to not be enthralled by their baritone roars and to be intimidated by their size, but rather to be focused on the glory of God. That was his choice, and that's how he made that a moment. That's poise. Verse 14. And 
This is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they are wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they are good. This is meaningless to me. I mean, that's a summation of, of, of what's wrong, right? I mean, in our culture right now, men and women of virtue are openly humiliated, and if you're a celebrity, there's no sin that you can't write a book about and become famous. But what's the purpose of faith? Faith is the assurance of things that you hope for, that God's in charge and he's in control and, and the conviction of things not seen, that he's loving and that he's just and we're going to make this happen. What if God, in, in the way we want him to be sovereign, every single time a politician would break a, po a promise like a tooth would fall out? Oh, I know, that'd be awesome, right? Okay, just stop for a second. Okay, what if every time a media person knowingly told a lie, and they got like a giant wart on their face. I know, don't spend too much time there because you're going to pray that. But, but what would that do to your faith? You wouldn't have faith. You would just see justice and righteousness being practiced immediately, and people would be righteous because it works, and people would be fearing evil because they don't want to get punished or a wart on national TV. No, no, no. But this way, we have to trust that God is good and God is just. Look, in heaven, everything is done according to God's will. On heaven, like on earth as it is in heaven. You don't need faith there. That's the point. You don't need faith. All we have is love. Faith and hope are gone. We leave that here. What do we need faith and hope in? Right here. In, when we're living in a world like this that doesn't make sense, poise. That's what's needed, poise. It's an expression of faith. Poise in sports is Tom Brady in the fourth quarter, and he's 14 points behind. And do you see him pacing back and forth, nervous? No, he's laughing with his receivers. We got this. That's poise. Poise is a soldier standing point, regardless of what's going on. Poise, in the context here, is corrupt evildoers, and we're crying out for justice, but we're standing like Daniel. We're focusing on the glory of God that he's good, that he's just, that he's in control. And look at his face, how it beams, just like it says in this passage. He's not screaming, I was framed. He's just looking at the lions going like, what's up? You want to tickle? I can do that. So Solomon, help us out of this. What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? Okay, here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 15, enjoy life. Just says it right there. I commend you to enjoy life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. Wisdom is knowing that there's a limit to wisdom. And so, it, you know, he's not saying give up. He's not saying hedonism. He's saying do every single thing you can to be generous. Do all that you can to make sure that innocent people that are in jail are set free, that guilty people need to live with the consequences. Get involved in politics by all means. Let's get the most qualified narcissist to be helping us live a better world. All, I get that. Work hard. Work hard. Serve the Lord. But have fun because God is ultimately in charge of all this. He's got a big plan and we can't know it, but we can, knowing that he's in charge of the big stuff, it lightens the load in our trying to get justice taken care of, right, helping people get out of jail that were innocent, right, it lightens the load and it brightens our face. 
You can see it in your own demeanor because the anger is gone. We've delegated that to God. What do we not do? Look what he says what not to do. He says, don't overthink this. Look, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the, the business that was done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes even seem to sleep, boom. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun However much a man toils in its seeking, he will not find this out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find this out. That's why poets and artists, they're frustrated until they get to that last verse that they did with you too. It's like, now I get it. But until they get there, they'll never find out. The wise in life are found in the Bible, but not all of them. A lot of them are missed out. We don't know them, but here's what we can know. Here's what you can know. It's never wrong to do right. When times are bad, be good. If you live in a culture or in a, in a government that is unjust, be righteous. Be righteous. What's the matter? Hell, we got you down. What did you expect in this life? It's not supposed to be like heaven. It's... <laughs> The author and the perfecter of poise is Jesus the Christ. Could I just remind you of a few moments of poise in the garden? And he asked the Father, Lord, Father, if you could take this cup. And the Father says, hold the line. And he stands before Pilate. And Pilate tells his little man, Pilate, tells him, I have all the authority to set you free. And Jesus says, I'm a king, an eternal king, poise. He stands before Herod. And what can you say? So you say nothing at all. He's going to die a long, painful death in a very short time. Jesus is crowned with thorns. He is strapped to a pole, and even then he has poise as he is beaten for our transgressions. But it's not over then. He's put on a cross, and people mock him, and they say, you saved others, you can save yourself. All he has to think, all he has to do is think, and a division of war angels will come down and finish this. Poise. Poise. As he's hanging there, he says, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. He prays in confusion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Poise. He projects hope into thy hands. I commit my spirit. It is finished like a good soldier. You see, it's not like the Lord Jesus Christ does not understand what we're up against. He came and he showed us the way it ought to be. Here's how we can live. What if this is purgatory? What if this is a place, in a Catholic context, purgatory is a place to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us ready for heaven. What if this is purgatory? What if that's the purpose of this life? That we're to be suffering soldiers, not like, like pampered country club members. That life 
is a series of events where we can acknowledge that we don't know that we can know, but we can choose. And it's never a bad time to do good. And no matter what happens in the world, we can be righteous. And if we can grasp that, it will release us and it will give us the power to have victories where we used to have defeat, where we can sing where we used to cry. And our very bodies, our faces, will express the brilliance of our faith in a sovereign and loving God. That's what Solomon wrote to you and me in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Everybody else has been waiting for us to hear it. (laughs) This is for us, isn't it? Let's be radiant. Let's be radiant. Lord Jesus, we are grateful. Dear God, we are grateful for this book and for what it means to live by faith. And Lord, I I, I must acknowledge that uh, this particular topic of of unjust rulers and lying media and people that are out to to divide the things that you instituted, family and church and countries, are seeming to be winning. And it makes me angry. And I'm I'm just grateful that the topic has already been discussed and it's already been made clear. So Lord, I now, I'd ask that I, that you would help me and maybe some of my brothers and sisters that are listening in on my prayer, that I could live in this way, that I wouldn't expect so much out of this life and so much so that I could thrive and enjoy and, and exercise my faith. And that would show up even in my in my face, that the anger would leave and the joy would be radiant. I pray that in my life, in the life of my church, in the life of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand as we close our time in worship together. Let's sing about how we are
Father, your glory is beautiful, Lord. We lift this truth to you, God. You are so, so good beyond all things, God. We give you praise and glory. We thank you for the ability to gather together, God, and sing your praises and worship you freely, God. It's all through you, and it's all for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and worship. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, you're dismissed now. Uh, have a great week. See you next week.